Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We've been talking the past several weeks a lot about New Testament manuscripts, a lot about the, the Greek and digging into some of those more important manuscripts. We're going to shift gears a little bit today. Well, I say a little bit, it's actually quite a bit, talking about the Old Testament. It's been a while since we've talked about the Old Testament. One of the major reasons for that is in the discussion of translations and textual criticism, it all centers upon the New Testament. Yeah, there is some discussion about the, the Old Testament and some of the Hebrew, but not very much at all compared to the, the majority of the, the argument and the discussion centers on the, the Greek of the New Testament, which manuscripts to use and which ones are more reliable and, and all that. But there is still things that we can learn from the Old Testament and how God has preserved his word, uh, specifically speaking about the, the Old Testament manuscripts. Uh, we don't have any of the autographs, but we do have uh, several manuscripts that we uh, in Hebrew that are the basis for the, the Old Testament that we have in our Bibles today. It, to get to this discussion and talking about the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is what we're, uh, this episode is mostly about, we got to have a little bit of a recap because it's been a while since we've talked about the preservation of the Old Testament. And we need to talk about two groups that has uh, been for a we haven't talked about in a long time, the Essenes and the Masoretes. So the, the Essenes, they were a sectarian group that uh, lived, uh, the, the communities existed between like the 2nd century BC to about a, uh, roughly about a century after the time of Christ. So, you know, a period of, you know, a few hundred years, they lived in communities that were separate from the rest of the world. Uh, the most well-known uh, of those communities is Qumran, near the Dead Sea. Come back to that in a moment, but they, they spent their lives following very strict rules from scripture and then from their own teachings that they had developed and uh, saw themselves as preservers of Israel. And the uh, previous episode, we spent some more time talking about them, but that's when they served. The, the point to, to recognize is when they served, is that they had a, a commitment to preserving scripture and they served for about you know second century BC to about you know a, a century after the time of Christ. The other group is the Masoretes, and they live. They, they served uh, several hundred years after the Essenes, from about 500 AD to 1500, and we have s- several of their manuscripts. And the, the combination of those, the Masoretic manuscripts that we have, are the basis for the Old Testament, both the King James and a lot of modern translations as well. But the thing is, is that the the manuscripts that we have of from from the Masoretes that are still in existence. They're about you know 880, 1080. They're not nearly, they didn't, we don't have manuscripts from when the Masoretes first started in terms of widespread manuscripts. And so we, we may be wondering, how can we have faith that the Old Testament we have in our Bibles today, if it's based on these manuscripts that are 800, 1,000 years after the time of Christ, let alone, you know, even further removed from the time that the original, the original prophets and others wrote those original documents, the autographs, how do we have faith that the Old Testament we have today is accurate, that it really is the Word of God? And this is where the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls comes in, and it's quite amazing to see how God has preserved His Word. 
So the specific time period we're talking about here is right after World War II. So that, that Europe has been torn apart by the conflict and it's just atrocities of war that had happened during that time. But the Lord had used those difficulties and those terrible situations with the Holocaust to turn the nation's hearts towards Israel. And the Israelites had been coming back to the promised land. And Israel is not a nation yet. We're, um, Israel would, would uh, become a nation in 1940, 1948, but we're talking about 1947 here. What happened in 1947 was a Bedouin shepherd boy was wandering uh, around the, the Dead Sea. And there's some different debate about whether he was leading a flock, whether he was searching for a lost animal. But for whatever reason, he was walking about the Dead Sea and he found these caves. And it, well, found this cave. And inside this cave, there were several jars. And people, and he went and told others about it. And soon it just began to, to people begin to recognize what this really was. That this was some ancient uh, storehouse. And they begin to come. Archaeologists begin to come to discover uh, more, uh, more caves and more documents. And so over the next 10 years, excavation took place and continued discoveries. And so now there's over 800 manuscripts that have been discovered in the Dead Sea Caves. Not all of those are canonical. There have been some other writings that are part of that. But uh, a significant amount of those is, are, are copies of Scripture. And what is one of the things that's significant about this is that through these manuscripts, we have almost the complete Old Testament in these Dead Sea, in these Dead sea Caves. These manuscripts have been taken from them. Uh, we are missing the, the books of Nehemiah and Esther, which is... Maybe not really surprising. Esther has had a, uh, a long history of debate about whether it should be included in the canon of Scripture or not. And uh, we believe it is. But um, that's a whole, whole other discussion about uh, canonicity, and, uh, which we're not, not talking about here. But um, that's maybe one reason why it wasn't included uh, in the manuscripts that were found in the Dead Sea Caves. And this was close to the city of Quomran. Uh, it's believed that it was the Essenes of Quomran who made these copies and who stored them in these clay jars in, in these caves. And there were originally seven manuscripts that were discovered in, in that first cave that that, that shepherd boy found. It, among, among those uh, manuscripts was, is known as the Isaiah scroll. And this is almost a complete uh, copy of Isaiah that it was written before 100 BC. And that, that's quite old, but to put this a little bit in perspective, that's about a thousand years older than the Masoretic text that we have. And so we'll be thinking, okay, for a thousand years, copies of copies of copies, all done by hand, there would probably be significant changes in the text. But there's not. That, that is the amazing thing about this, is that God has so faithfully preserved his word and the men that he's allowed to, to copy scripture and leading them, not in the same way that he led the apostles and the prophets to write scripture, but still watching over and guiding the preservation of his word that over a thousand years, the Isaiah scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic text, they are extremely close. There are some differences, uh, spelling mostly. There are a few, maybe some smaller passages uh, and some passages that are, that are somewhat different between the two scrolls. But as a whole, when we compare the Isaiah of uh, the Essenes copied and the Dead those found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, the Masoretic text that we have, they are extremely close. And this is just a testimony that God has indeed preserved his word. That it may, over time, people have tried to destroy the word of God, to eradicate it, to, uh, to suppress it, but they can't. And that God has preserved his people just as he preserved 
preserved Israel. He's preserving his people even now. That like take with World War II, it was a terrible time for Israel, but the, and so many of the Jews had lost their lives in the concentration camps. But the Lord used that terrible evil as He brought His people out of that and brought them pe people through that to be able to help to fulfill prophecy and bringing Israel back to their homeland. And the Lord does preserve what he, His word and His people. And so we can, we can have faith that the word, scripture that we have today is accurate, that it is the word of God. Yes, we don't have the original autographs. Those have been lost to us uh, for whatever reason that, that God has allowed that. He, he has for a purpose. But we can have, have faith and have confidence that God has preserved his word. And the Bibles that we have today are accurate, that they've been accurately preserved and translated. And we can have... A, great faith and confidence that what we read today is the word of God. And so does the Dead Sea Scrolls, do, 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 back up, do the Dead Sea Scrolls have a major impact upon our translations today? Not necessarily, but they are an example of how uh, God has preserved manuscripts and we ha how we have very ancient ones. We can look back and that man did not make up the scripture relatively late as like the, the Da Vinci Code would have us believe uh, and other people would try to claim that when God has said in Scripture that uh, he, uh, he told Isaiah to write certain things, or, he, he, or Paul testifies that he was writing an epistle, it, were, it was these men who were writing these, these, manuscripts, these autographs. And we have these copies, and these ancient copies, that increase our, our confidence in it. It's not that we believe because we have these old uh, manuscripts, but they uh, give us greater confidence and uh, provide us in terms of apologetics and just increasing and give it us our own confidence and our faith. And so that's it. It was an exciting discovery in 1947. Uh, wanted, to, wanted to share that. And then we're going to, um, wanted to share that today. And then uh, still got to talk about a book before it closes out, but a little where we're going in the next episode. I'm hoping to come back to the New Testament because uh, we've kind of finished up what we need to talk about the Old Testament today. Come back to the New Testament and, and try to summarize a little bit of where we've been and moving forward, talking about the translations we have today, because we've traced these manuscripts, we've traced the history of the English Bible from Wycliffe up to the, you know, the translation of the King James. And we have the King James, we've had it for you know, 400 years. So why do we need something more? We were talking a little bit about that, uh, hopefully next episode. But talking about the book, what I to share about today is one that I've been looking forward to reading for a little while. It's a Theology That Sticks by Chris Anderson. It's a fairly new book from his, uh, of his. It's been out for a, a few months, I believe. But one of the reasons I've been looking forward to, to reading uh, this book and what he was talking about was it's a book about the music that we ought to sing. Ought to sing. And over the past six, seven years, have been introduced to Chris Anderson's music. His music is, can be found on uh, Churchworks Media. He has stuff there. Chris Anderson, he, he's a... He writes the lyrics. He doesn't really write the melodies. He partners with people like Greg Habegger and some others to write to write really great music. His ropes were mine. I run to Christ. I think Triune Prayer was another of his, which they're not, maybe not widely known in Christian circles, but um, that they are out there, and you can find the, the music for them on that website, Churchworks Church Media. And so I was eager to see, okay, what, what, is, uh, what was Anderson's perspective of the music that we ought to sing? And when you look at the endorsements for the book, it was just an amazing uh, uh, spread of who was 
commending the book and writing endorsements for it. Uh, you had, I believe it was Matt Boswell, he wrote one. Uh, so, so many of these names that I recognize, I think Albert Moeller. Um, so just a widespread uh, amount of, of men who were testifying that, yes, we, we are excited about this book. We respect what Anderson has written. It's sound. And so I was looking forward to reading, reading his perspective. And it was a really uh, encouraging read. I felt like he, I believe that his theology that he was expounding through there what was sound and it was um, edifying. And that his his point is behind the, the title theology that sticks is that what we sing makes a deep impression upon us and can stick with us even more than just someone's just listening to a sermon. And the Gettys also make that point in their book Sing, which Anderson references. He references a, a lot of different authors. Uh, some I recognized, some I didn't. Um, but it was very well researched and well laid out. And he he set, has an introductory chapter, and then he has 12 uh, criteria uh, or guiding principles for the music that we ought to have. And so these were included uh, that need to be biblical, doctrinal, Christian, uh, Trinitarian, congregational, uh, unifying, uh, inspired, uh, uh, diverse, emotive, experiential, beautiful, and doxological. And that, unfortunately, is where I feel like the shortcoming of the book uh, comes into play. Is that all these are great. And, and he goes through col uh, passages in the Colossians and Ephesians and the Psalms. Show it how he derives these. How these ought to uh, guide the music that we that we sing. Specifically talking about church music. The music that we sing in church. To praise the Lord or, or Christian music that uh, edifies or about the spirit Christian life. These are principles that he, he draws from Scripture, which I feel like he does an excellent job with the exposition of these texts. But the difficulty is, is that the reader is sort of left with, now what? It's kind of overwhelming, and the last chapter is that last criteria, doxological. Uh, and then he has, some, he has some appendices that I haven't read, but they're more uh, practical in terms of talking to people about the uh, some AV issues with leading with music, doing some stuff with worship leaders, but not so much for uh, just individual Christians for how does this apply? Because not all these criteria apply equally. You know, the first one, biblical. Absolutely. All the music that we sing should align with scripture, should not go against it. That should be a marker of every single song that we choose. But other ones, they don't apply to every single song. Like his criteria inspired. There he's talking about singing the Psalms, the Psalms of scripture. Not every song that we sing is going to be a psalm, and he admits that. Or like a, or a Christian. What he's there is talking about Christ-centered music. Music, songs that specifically exalt Christ, his atoning work, and other aspects of Christ, even his ministry that he does now, his return. Not all the music that we sing uh, talks specifically about Christ's atoning work. It should be a characteristic of a lot of music that we do sing, but it's not going to apply to every single song that we sing. And so it, it could seem overwhelming. It's like, man, i got to keep all 12 of these things straight. Well, you, you don't. Not all the music that we're going to sing is going to cover all of those. And Anderson does talk about that, but um, just wanted to point that out, that uh, if you do read this book, uh, which I, I feel like is a, is a really good book, it's a good resource, don't feel like you have to, every song that we sing has to apply to, uh, you know, has to meet every single criteria, uh, all 12 of those. And he has several lists in there of songs that are good examples of specific aspects. So I guess I would recommend that this book was, was a good resource as guiding principles. Recognize that our music should be hitting these different points. 
not every song hit in every single one, but we should find songs that and choose songs that are extremely doctrinally rich. And uh, some of the songs that Chris Anderson has written, uh, others like the some of the Gettys, Matt Boswell, even some of the ones put up a Sovereign Grace. There's a there's a lot of good resources out there. But also he says that and he gives some examples of how uh, having the songs that maybe aren't as as deep but are meaningful and impactful and help uh, people to, to truly to, to grasp and exp the, the gospel and to express themselves to God in there. Uh, he, he does a better job of explaining it through the book. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a little different than I anticipated. Uh, he spoke talking mostly about lyrics, cause, which makes sense from his background, but going through about what does scripture say about the music that we should be singing. So again, it's Theology That Sticks by Chris Anderson, and that's a, a good resource uh, you, can, you can check out. But appreciate uh, people listening to the podcast and um, hoping to uh, continue on with our series about translations and moving away from specific manuscripts to digging into more of, okay, how what does, impact does all this have on us today and moving into the translations that we have now. And um, I have some books I'm hoping to be able to share on here soon. Uh, looking forward to finishing up J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. That, that's been a, a good read so far. And I just started Bob Coughlin's book, Worship Matters, which is another one about music, uh, which maybe I'll do an episode here in the future on, on music or maybe a series of episodes. We'll see. But it's more from the perspective of, of leading worship. Uh, does have some stuff about the music that we choose as well, but uh, I'm interested to see Coughlin's uh, perspective on that. He's, it's also highly re recommended from some of, several of the books that I've read and then just the endorsements that he has in the beginning. So looking forward to, to reading that, uh, Coughlin's book, uh, Worship Matters. But again, I thank people uh, for listening to the podcast. And until next episode, read the word and take your stand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.